Hi, this is James Barris. I hope you find this talk supports you in your practice. If you'd like to support my teaching, you can use the donate button underneath my picture on Dharma Seed to do that. Your support is greatly appreciated. So the uh, subject of the talk is skillful letting go for intense times. <clears throat> the the term letting go comes up a lot in Buddhist teachings and practice. In some ways you could say that that is really the heart of the third noble truth. If you're not familiar with the four noble truths that really are the, the heart of what this teaching is about the first noble truth is there is suffering in life. Not that all of life is suffering, but the fact that there is suffering uh, is something that we have to come to terms with and not run away from, not pretend or um, hide from. The second noble truth The cause of suffering, of most of our suffering, the mental anguish anyway, is the wanting mind, is our attachment to ideas or wants or how we think it should be or how we wish it would be. Not that... uh, not simply desire. Sometimes people think of the second noble truth. They say the cause of suffering is desire. But that doesn't quite accurately name it because there are wholesome wholesome desires as well. There's the desire to be a, a compassionate and kind person. That's a good desire. Desire to develop gifts that you've been given in your life. So a good desire. That's called chanda in, uh, in Pali. But the desire that leads to suffering, that is the cause of suffering, is called tanha, T-A-N-H-A, or thirst, where there's an unquenchable yearning that's not met and that is painful either to want something that's not here or to want what's here to stay or to not want something that's here, just the flip side of, of wanting. So that's the second noble truth. The third noble truth, there is an end to this tanha, to this uh, grasping. There is an end to suffering, actually. The, the full uh, expression of that end to suffering is, um, is awakening, is enlightenment. But really, any moment where you are free of wanting, there is an, an end to suffering in that moment. Mm. That's the third noble truth. The fourth noble truth 
is there is a way, there's a prescription that helps you come into harmony. And so it's easier and easier to come to that end of suffering. But that third noble truth, the end of suffering, if the cause of suffering is attachment, is wanting, is, uh, is holding on, then the end of suffering, the essence of the end of suffering is letting go. And there are a number of different areas in our life that we find ourselves holding on that we are causing suffering. We hold on, we get attached to our, uh, to sense pleasures. Not that they're bad, but if it's, if that is the source of our happiness and it's not here, then when there's not sense pleasure, we are wanting and we're caught in that grasping. There's attachment to ideas and opinions. We get very attached to our ideas about how things are. Have you noticed when somebody has a different idea or opinion than you? How could they think that way? Don't they, don't they get it? <clears throat> and they're saying the same thing uh, if you are missing Attachment to our all, all ideas and opinions, which is really the basis for war and discord and um, all the pain in humanity. There is attachment to spiritual traditions. My meditation, I'm, a, I'm an insight meditator. You know. No, I'm a... I'm a Tibetan practitioner, yes, we know the way. You know, I'm a Zen practitioner. There's uh, in in uh, in Buddhism there the, there are th- those three traditions. They're called yanas or uh, paths. There's and called Hinayana. The the other two think of the the, the Theravadan our tradition as Hinayana, which means lesser vehicle. And then there's Mahayana, the, the Zenis, which Maha means greater, greater vehicle. And then the Tibetans call theirs the Vajrayana, the supreme vehicle. Right? <laughs> and there was this guy many years ago uh, who had this, came out with this statement, lesser vehicle, greater vehicle, all vehicles will be towed at owner's expense. <laughs> Mm-mm. If you're owning, taking ownership, my vehicle, not many people in, in insight meditation say, I'm with a lesser vehicle, no. Uh, we don't call it that. Um, but then there's attachment to uh, whether or not it's Buddhist, you can be attached to your spiritual tradition, whether it's Judaism or Christianity or Islam or Hinduism, they're all ways for the mind and the heart to be inspired by the mystery. But we see how many, um, how, many how much destruction, how much pain, how much um, damage, how many wars are over 
different human ideas about what the divine is. We can get very attached to our spiritual tradition. And the Buddha said, these are all just skillful means that help us touch that divine in ourselves, whether you call it the Buddha within or the Christ within or the kingdom of heaven or whatever. There's something mysterious and divine inside of us that we can access and it can take many forms and they're all very inspiring if they're held in that way that this is my path, this is what speaks to me but not say, and they're wrong and I'm going to fight because my version of the divine is the real one, not theirs. Really doesn't make sense, does it? And then we can get attached to this very idea of self, the concept of self, of who we are, not realizing that we're not separate from the rest of life. Not that life happens just to us, but life is manifesting through us, and this is all just the game of life. This is life talking it through to itself through this form right now, and we're not as separate as we think. On one hand, we are unique, and on another, we're all the same energy and matter of the universe. So the Buddha said, take a look and see through that idea of being separate and let go, see through that, let go of that attachment to self. Those are the different aspects, letting go of sense desire or letting go of our ideas and opinions, letting go of attachment to our spiritual form, letting go of um, this central idea of self. So there, there are a number of different aspects of this letting go, and we can get caught in many different ways. Like I said, we can get caught in, in stuff I want that, or attachment to somebody, or wanting a particular expression of life. Wow, that form is really atta- uh, really gorgeous, and I want that form, and it's very painful. You know, we can get attached to our relationships, and what starts out as love can become jealousy or resentment and get distorted when we have our ideas of how relationships should be that are not matching somebody else's. Letting go of the past. When we've experienced something that's truly meaningful to us and it's no longer there, or we lose a loved one, you know, and there, of course, there, grieving is a very natural and healthy and important part of the human experience. But some people can spend a lifetime living in the past and not realizing that this is the natural way of things, as the Buddha says, to reflect every day that everyone near and dear to us we will eventually become separated from. 
So lots of different ways that we can let go or that we are called to learn how to let go. But I wanted to talk tonight particularly about um, a few different dimensions other than the ones that I have mentioned that um, I'm finding particularly relevant these days. I don't think I have to convince anyone here. These are really intense times. Whether it's the threat of coronavirus, all of a sudden, two months ago, nobody heard of the coronavirus. I don't know how, how long it is now. And now, you can just see the fragility of life, the human experience. It's, 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 it's really um, um, so sad to th- hear to think of all these people getting sick and dying, but on on another level, I particularly I'm in my own warped way maybe find it fascinating how one little mutation of an organism and all of humanity is brought to its knees or in fear. And the one silver lining, if there is a silver lining, is seeing that we're not controlling things. We have very limited control. And maybe that we're all in this together. That would be a nice thing to kind of come to. We're all in this together and boundaries and borders. um, Viruses don't care about that. So there's that situation. There's a world that is filled with inequities, whether racial or social injustice. In so many different ways, there's so much greed, there's so much hatred, there's uh, so much violence, there's so much fear. Um, it's scary. There's uncertainty as far as where we're headed as a species with this planet around climate. As I've mentioned, one of my particular uh, areas of focus these days. Who knows where this is going? And it can be very unsettling. And then there's things like the election that, you know, I mean, every day you just... It's something new. You read the headlines. Oh my goodness, what what is going on here? Anyway, it's not so common that people are placidly saying, oh, these are just easy times, wonderful times. There's a lot in the air. Understandably. And so... I wanted to offer a couple of reflections tonight around letting go that I have been playing around with that I think might serve us if we keep them in mind in our practice. Particularly, as I've been mentioning, all of the things that are scary on the, 
on the stage right now, they're scary because we don't know where we're headed. Isn't that so? Where is this going? Just even thinking about, it's like, whoa. And the mind, when it is caught in fear or worry, generally easily slips to uh, the most, uh, the, the scariest scenario. And then we get frightened as we, uh, as we think about it. Because the mind, that's what the mind creates when it's in fear. Mm. I'm just thinking there's a, a Mullah Nasruddin story that probably a number of you have heard, but it's just coming to my mind. Mullah Nasruddin, this uh, Sufi figure, wise man, eccentric um, fool, um, who um, one day he's he's um, out by his house and he's spreading breadcrumbs around the perimeter of his house very very carefully, and his uh, his students are there with him and and one of them says Mullah why are you spreading those crumbs around so carefully, and uh, Mullah says oh I'm doing it to keep away the tigers, and. The students say, tigers? There aren't tigers for hundreds of miles from here. And Mullah says, effective, isn't it? <laughs> but if you're worried about the tigers, then um, that becomes your obsession. So this looking ahead into the future can really uh, catch us either with trepidation, which leads to anxiety or despair or fear or toppling forward to the future with anticipation, with wanting, with impatience. I hope this turns out okay. With expectation or or drawing a conclusion, I know how this is going to work. I know how it's going to turn out. And when we're living in the future, we're not here in our present. We're missing out on our lives. Now, it's one thing to plan consciously. It's a very good thing, important thing to plan consciously. You know, uh, I... I know my dates for next year's February month long. I don't know if I'll be around, but it's there in my calendar, as many things are. But I don't know how it's going to be. It's a good thing to plan and then just see how it turns out. But if you're planning and then all you're doing is thinking about the future, well, that's kind of not a very good use of your time because you're going to miss out on life right now. But when you are continually leaning forward into the future, you are pulled out of the present moment. Here's a passage that I love. 
perhaps you're familiar with from Thich Nhat Hanh, who has a teaching around washing dishes. Thich Nhat Hanh, the great uh, 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 Vietnamese meditation master. He says, to my mind, the idea that doing the dishes is unpleasant, is unpleasant, sorry. To my mind, the idea that doing the dishes is unpleasant can occur only when you're not doing them. Once you're standing in front of the sink with your sleeves rolled up and your hands in warm water, it's really not so bad. I enjoy taking my time with each dish, being fully aware of the dish, the water, and each movement of my hands. I know that if I hurry in order to go and have a cup of tea, the time will be unpleasant and not worth living. That would be a pity. For each minute, each second of life is a miracle. The dishes themselves and the fact that I'm here washing them are miracles. If I'm incapable of washing dishes joyfully, if I want to finish them so I can go to dessert, I'll be equally incapable of enjoying my dessert. With the fork in my hand, I'll be thinking about what to do next. And the texture and the flavor of the dessert together with the pleasure of eating it, will be lost. I'll always be dragged into the future, never able to live in the present moment. Each thought, each action in the sunlight of awareness becomes sacred. I must confess, it takes me a bit longer to do the dishes, but I live fully in every moment and I'm happy. What a great way to live our life. Not so easy. I know you're probably saying, well, he doesn't have my life. You know, I've got important things to do. He's just a meditation teacher with a, he's now in the last ending of stages of, of his, his life, a meditation teacher who saw people nonstop from morning until night and leading huge retreats and all and if you've ever sat with him or you've ever done walking meditation with him, he was on, at Spirit Rock a number of years ago and he led walking meditation for a thousand people and he was just walking very slowly. You know, and it just slowed us all down. Mm. So to be pulled out of the present by toppling forward into the future we are leaning forward and attached to the next thing. The Buddha in a series of discourses, in the middle length discourses called the Majjhima, the Majjhima Nikaya are the collection of the middle length discourses. There's four discourses consecutively. It's the only time that I know of that there's four discourses that have one common thread like that with one phrase between each of these. And the phrase is one fortunate attachment. The Buddha talks about one fortunate attachment. You know what it is? The present moment. If you've got to be attached, go for the present moment. But the thing is, you can't hold on to the present moment, can you? In a moment, it's the past moment. So you're not holding on to this moment and hoping it'll stay. No, you're 
being here for this moment, and now this moment, and now this moment, and now if you're going to be here now, it means each moment is a new moment. He says, this is a good thing to be attached to. Hang out in the present. Mm. And I want to uh, share with you a little bit of an, uh, uh, an exercise, a practice exercise, so you get a sense of just the complication that we create for ourselves. Okay? This is something I like to do. Sometimes I, I find that besides hearing the, the concept, having your, your body actually experience it, then you have an embodied understanding. So this is what I'd like you to do. Okay. Um, just imagine the future is out in front of you, just out of your reach. And if you can reach and lean forward lo- long enough, you can catch the future right now. So before you do it, oh, you're so good, you're all <laughs> so ready to go. Uh, just think of something that you really want to happen in the future. And if you can reach and touch it, instant gratification, okay? So now, uh, it might be good maybe to turn on a 45 degree angle so you don't bump into the person in front of you, okay? And now, so this way, and now reach, really go for it. Keep your, your butt on your chair or your cushion, and it's just out of your reach Stay there for a moment and notice how this feels. And then you realize you can't catch the future. So I'd like you to very slowly come back to now. Very slowly, just come back to this moment. Notice how that feels. Can you feel the difference between this as tantalizing and seductive as it is? Oh, it's going to feel so good when it's really off balance. It's really unpleasant, even though it's exciting to think about. But you're not here. And here is where peace and centeredness is to be found. When we're here in the present, when we can let go of our leaning forward into the future, this is where centeredness is, this is where contentment is, this is where ease is, this is where safety is. It also is where we can find a wise response to this moment instead of reacting out of grasping or pushing away. Now, of course, humans are wired up to like feeling secure. We like safety. And often we think that security comes in knowing how it will be. We need to know that feeling of insecurity is 
comes when we don't know and we wish we could know or when we wish we had control when we never had control in the first place. When we're leaning forward with our conclusions or our expectations or our hopes or our fears, we don't have enough information yet to know how it's going to be. I mean, it's fairly obvious when you think about it, but there are infinite possibilities. And it's good to have maybe a game plan and maybe anticipate some some variables, but we don't know for sure. And when we can let go of our knowing, of our thinking that we know, there's a tremendous sense of spaciousness and relief. Doesn't mean not to plan, but you don't know. Many years ago, there was a Zen master, um, a Korean Zen master, Sung Sang, um, who, when he came to the States from Korea, he had um, this really wonderful teacher. And one of his main teachings was don't know mind. And he'd say, and he didn't at first uh, know, know much English. And, uh, and so it was that much more effective when he'd just say in a few words, you know, where did you come from? Don't know, he would say in this very deep, don't know, like a Zen master should, right? What's the meaning of life? Don't know. Where are you going? Don't know. And he'd say, just keep don't know mind and you'll come into this world fresh and into this moment fresh. That's where the liberation is. How to do that, how to let go of knowing, it means you have to trust, not that everything's going to work out just the way you want, that's not how life works, but trust that your awareness can meet the moment when it comes. And the more you practice having that attitude right now, how can I respond wisely in this moment, the more you are practicing that relationship to the moment and you can trust that when circumstances present themselves, you can trust that your awareness will meet that moment then. And there's a great sense of relief in not trying to figure out how it's going to be, but just coming into this moment, which is where you can experience life. So this is the first of two kind of letting goes that I would really advise you as you're going through whatever intense times it is. Oh my God, what's going to happen with this virus stuff? Or will I get it? Or Who knows? But... When that moment comes, you'll deal with it. Don't spend that much time worrying that it might happen. It will or it won't. And you can do everything you can to prevent it, but the worrying is extra. How is this going to turn out? How is this going to turn out around the election or around uh, where we're heading or whatever 
You don't know. But if you're worrying and caught up in understandably spinning your wheels out of fear, you cannot respond wisely to this moment. So that's the first one. Letting go of knowing how it is. Don't know what's going to happen. Don't know. Then that allows you to be here in the present. But that's not all there is because we do need to consciously have a vision. We do need to be engaged in the world so it's not just about, oh, seizing the moment and being here, that's very good. It's very good to be attached to the present, but to not have some kind of an idea where you anticipate consciously and wisely without getting caught up in the worry and the extra fear. So you find contentment in this moment as best you can, but not complacent. If you're complacent and just say, okay, well, whatever, you know, whatever happens, happens, then you're not really engaged with life. And so the other side of being here is also having an inspiring vision of where you want to go, which is different than attachment to getting there. But just, you know, I, I often say, as long as in, in my, main, my practice, it's not so much, oh, when will I get enlightened? It's, am I facing in the right direction? Because as long as I'm facing in the right direction and then I'm here for this moment, I know that the next step and the next step and the next step will be um, supporting me in well-being. You want to know where you're, where you're facing and have a vision too. When you have a, a vision, it's inspiring. When you have a vision, then you're not wandering around aimlessly the Buddha talked of in the Eightfold Path, after having an understanding of where happiness lies, the second link is wise intention or wise thought, right thought or wise intention. Having a vision and then doing what you can to live fully in that vision, which is different than having a timetable or a report card. You're just facing in the right direction. And particularly having a vision of what you want to create or what you want to contribute in these times towards more consciousness, towards more love, towards more understanding. And that's what the spiritual practice is about, that you're you're wanting to cultivate qualities inside that inspire you and inspire everyone rather than just acting out of greed, hatred, or delusion. And it takes practice. So you have an inspiring vision and then you move in that direction. 
And especially in these times when it's so easy to get anxious about things, that being engaged is a way for all of your care and anxiety to, uh, to be harnessed as one of my uh, inspiring uh, teachings um, from an inspiring teacher, Angelus Arian, says, action absorbs anxiety. Skillful action absorbs anxiety rather than just tearing your hair out or biting your nails or wondering what's going to happen. Uh, when you put yourself in motion, then you all of that caring has a place to go. So the other side of being here in the present moment is knowing where you're facing and letting go of how you think it's going to turn out. You just do what you do without getting attached to the outcome. This is like it's said in the Bhagavad Gita, the, one of the main teachings in there is do what you do and don't be attached to the fruits of your actions. Which is also what the Buddha said. You do what you do without attachment. And in modern positive psychology, uh, Martin Seligman, the father of positive psychology, says um, the real happiness He wrote a book called Authentic Happiness. He said the real happiness comes from identifying your own strengths and then offering them in a spirit of contribution. This is a good thing to have a vision of how you can make a difference in this world. As uh, Julia Butterfly Hill, my uh, big inspiration for me, says, you act with a joyful responsibility rather than fear or um, anxiety. You do it just because it feels right. This is from the Talmud. Says, you know, the great Jewish body of wisdom, if the world were ending and you knew that nothing would make a difference, the wise man would, and the wise man or woman would still do what's most aligned with their heart's deepest wishes just because it feels good. Thomas Merton, a um, great contemplative, Christian contemplative, an activist, says, an activist has to come to terms with the fact that what is done may ultimately be fruitless, but that you're, doing it so, you're not doing it solely for the hope of results. And as you get used to this idea, you start more and more to concentrate on the value, the rightness, the truth of what you do just for itself. Joanna Macy lives right here in in Berkeley. Really one of the most inspiring beings on the planet. She wrote a book called Active Hope. And she said for years she hated the word hope. It just was too syrupy and, you know, oh, I hope it'll work out. And, and, and kind of there was a subtle fear underneath. And there's a, a Roman philosopher, Seneca, who said, uh, you cease to be afraid when you cease to hope because hope 
is often accompanied by fear. But finally, she said, okay, there's got to be a place for hope. It's too depressing if we have no vision, right? And so she wrote this book called Active Hope, and this is her definition of active hope, identifying the outcomes we hope for and then playing our part in bringing them about. We focus on what we deeply long for and then proceed to take determined steps in that direction and become an active participant in bringing about what we hope for, but without the attachment. So to do that means we have to have courage to step into the unknown. We have to have compassion for all the fears and all the things that come up and all the suffering that we might encounter. And we have to find equanimity that comes from a sense of balance and willingness to be here for the highs and the lows. So letting go not only of toppling forward to the future, coming here into the present and letting go as you put your your body and your mind and your heart in motion with a vision, but letting go of the outcome. These are two letting goes, I think, that will really serve us for our time. So just to make this relevant in the time we have left, I just invite you to um, go inside and uh, offer reflection for you to, uh, to connect with. In your life, when do you get caught in toppling forward into the future? There's no wrong in this. It's just seeing what your habits are. Is it anticipation? Is it worry? Is it uh, wanting? Just check. When do you, you find yourself getting caught in toppling forward? And what does it feel like when you're in that space? And just think of what would help you remember to come back to the present. If somebody could whisper in your ear something to remind you, hey, it's happening now, whatever it is. Just imagine learning more and more to come back to the present. And then the second letting go, just imagine acting skillfully, being engaged with whatever vision you have without getting lost in knowing how it will turn out. Letting go of the outcome and just putting yourself in that trusting of just showing up. Imagine what that would be like.
Okay, and now just um, in the few mo- in the few minutes we have, uh, I'd like you to just turn to one or two people near you and uh, just come uh, share what came up with you, for you, and whether it's when you get tend to get lost and what could remember you could remember to come back. We're acting without that attachment. Just share whatever might have come up from that for the next few minutes and then we'll come back and and close, okay? You can turn around if if you're looking for somebody and you can witness them and they can witness you. Yeah, just uh, besides sharing, uh, know that you've been witnessed and supported and you can maybe support that other person in your mind and in your heart. You might just practice this week if you tend to topple forward like most of us do, what it would be like to come back to the now. And if you tend to have lots of conclusions or expectations of how it's going to be. What if you just let go and did what you did and trusted that it'll turn out and you'll be able to meet it with awareness however it does turn out. So I'm sorry we don't have time for uh, to check in on that, uh, but I, I thought could um, do a song to close. I brought it the last time I brought I think and brought the guitar and and just uh so this song has been coming up a bit lately that just kind of fits in with the um with the theme um then I'd like you to sing it with me I think you know it imagine it's a good song so and I'll feed you the words if you don't know if you don't remember imagine there's no heaven Imagine there's no heaven It's easy if you try It's easy if you try No hell below us No hell below us Above us only sky Imagine all the people living for today Imagine all the people Living for today uh-huh. Imagine there's no countries Imagine there's no countries It isn't hard to do It isn't hard to do Nothing to kill or die for Nothing to kill or die for And no religion too And no religion too Imagine all the people living life in peace. Imagine all the people living life in peace. You you may say I'm a dreamer, but I'm not the only one. I hope someday you'll join us And the world will be as one 
And the world will be as one. Sorry, okay, I'll give it to you. I hope the world you join us. And the world will be as one. Imagine no possessions. Imagine no possessions. I wonder if you can. No need for greed or hunger. No need for greed or hunger. A brotherhood or a sisterhood of man. A brotherhood of man. Imagine all the people sharing all the world. Imagine all the people sharing all the world. You, you may say I'm a dreamer, but I'm not the only one. I hope someday you'll join us. And the world will live as one. Have a good week. Hope you stay in the present as best you can. Come back. It's already here. And whatever you do, uh, let it be done uh, without attachment. Just do it because it feels good. feels right. Have a good week. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.